Cars of Carlisle podcast, episode 33, our interview with Roy Feller. Cars of Carlisle is your favorite internationally downloaded podcast about all things automotive. Each week, Darren and Holly bring you topics from car shows to racing to personal stories about local car nuts. Today, gain some insight to a Carlisle local that has created masterful Corvette Resto Mods as a self-taught overhauler. Listen in on how he created a 62 first-generation Corvette show car that sold for 155 grand. So let's get revved up. Hello, Cubers. It is Darren. And Scott. Welcome to episode 33 of Cars of Carlisle. This week, uh, Holly is actually in the home of American Muscle. She's in Detroit on business. Scott's with me here. And we are going to uh, share with you, uh, just a few nights ago, we got to hang out with Roy Feller. He's a good feller. (laughs) (laughs) Roy, I didn't put him up to that, okay? If you're listening to this, Roy, that wasn't my fault. But (laughs) but anyhow, uh, we hung out with Roy Feller, who is a... Uh, re- relative uh, Carlisle resident. He's been in the area now for quite some years. You'll hear his story about he had worked for roadway trucking for, I think, 26 years and ended up uh, uh, staying in this area. But he's on the south side of Carlisle. We get to spend uh, about a part of an hour, hour and 15 minutes with him hanging out in his uh, living room, talking through his story, how he's uh, been a Corvette guy for a very long time. He bought a Corvette uh, early on um, and when he in his younger days how he bought his first car for $25 how he uh, created a custom 62 Corvette over span of seven years that he sold for over 150 I think it was $155,000 as Holly said in the intro Um, so he is uh, self-taught he's done so much as far as uh, learning the trade and and he says as a hobbyist he feels he's kind of a dying breed in the sense that he can pretty much do everything from paint to framework or as far as chassis um, you know working with the chassis uh, having it usually prefabbed but uh, straightening all the panels and and uh, finding all the parts and, and so he's he's uh, he's the real deal and, and you talked with him also about not just cars but in addition to that uh, with woodworking and furniture and houses, oh, absolutely. and he's all about saving anything like that from being uh, from being destroyed, and he likes to rehab it and uh, restore it. So he's yeah, he actually said that I think at one point in the interview that he looks at a vehicle, uh, for instance, that uh, the '62 that he restored completely into the custom, um, bought it from somebody at the uh, Corvette show years years and years ago. And it was beta. It was composed uh, of about six or seven different sixty-two vets. Uh, I mean, it was just, just pieces put together. It was. It was almost like a Frankenstein. And many people would look at a car like that and say, Ugh, "Why even bother? Why? How do you tackle that?" And uh, Roy has a vision, and he is a, an, an amazing guy. Um, and the one he has in his garage now, too. Yes, that exactly. he's saving, and I forget what. It was so it. cold that night. I could. <laughs> I can barely concentrate. It was so cold, uh, but uh, yeah, he is uh, is working on a new project car, and uh, he has uh, an amazing ability. So, without further ado, I uh, just wanted to uh, let you know you're going to love this interview. Uh, Roy, in my mind, has the perfect mix of just being comfortable and technical and informative. He has um, 
an enviable radio voice. In <laughs> fact, <laughs> I uh, I wish I had uh, a voice similar to his, but uh, it's a great interview. Just uh, tag along with us, learn all about how uh, how Roy grew up uh, with cars and, and the love of working with his hands, and whether it be woodworking to uh, restoring vehicles and, and fabrication and paintwork and bodywork. Uh, he's done it all, and he is uh, he's a gifted, very interesting guy. So buckle up. Let's go ahead and jump into the interview now. Same thing with cars. I mean, I've learned and never and or taught myself because it's usually out of necessity. Um, I did woodworking. My grandfather was a wheelwright. That's what he, he made wagon wheels and car wheels, turn of the century. So with cars, uh, you know, I started, I bought my first car when I was 13. Uh, I, I bought a Corvair for 25 bucks, and uh, I cut the fenders off. I, we didn't have a torch or anything, but I took a skill saw and got a blade, and I, I ran over all the fenders and cut them off and tried to use it as like a dune buggy. I mean, I had been driving. Uh, uh, I grew up on a farm. We didn't farm it. But uh, we always had a Jeep. And so, I mean, we drove. My dad used to tell my mom, she goes, why do we need this Jeep? And he goes, I need it to post the property and keep people off our property. Right? And he could have walked. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? But he, he didn't. I mean, so 10, 11, 12 years old, I was running the Jeep on the roads. Uh, you know, <laughs> we, were, we were pretty bad when we were kids. But we grew up in the country and nobody was around and nobody cared. Right. You know, there goes Roy the Jeep. Who cares? He's only 11. Yeah. <laughs> and the neighbors didn't care. So, but, uh, yeah, and then uh, I bought a, my first car was an MGB. And um, I worked, uh, my mom uh, worked in a blouse factory. She was a seamstress. And uh, the guy that owned the factory employed me as a janitor after school. And uh, in the summer, he would let me work there full time. And one of the things that he had a car collection. I mean, he had 10, 12 cars. And he used to take me to his house, and I would wash them, clean them, wax them. And if we were slow at the mill or, or whatever, and, and he was like, Rory, what are you going to do for your first car? I go, really haven't thought about it, just been saving money, right? And then he goes, I got a deal for you. And he says, I'm on the bank board, and uh, I grew up in the Poconos, so he was in Pinargel. Uh, and uh, he says, there's an MG there that we repoed, and it was stripped pretty hard. Okay, he says, you think you'd be interested in that sports car? What are you kidding me? Yeah, absolutely. I'll make that and this is like, uh, it was a 63, and this was in 68, so it was five years old. Didn't have a lot of miles on it. And uh, so I had to track down seats and gauges and a convertible top and a variety of different things and I can remember I went and got new tires on it and in the day you now you know we're talking 68 69 I got uh, four recaps because you could run recaps on the steering tire back then <laughs> and we put four, four new tires on it and tuned it up and I did all that and had it all ready to go by the time I was 16 you know so that's um, uh, then I drove that all through high school and when I went to college and I could, I don't think I had $500 in that. My parents said, we got to sell it. We need money to help pay for your tuition. <laughs> and I go, yeah, okay. I'm like, oh, okay with that. You know, and they sold it for like twelve or 1300 bucks. All right. And I had driven it for three years. I said, I'm hooked. <laughs> and ever, ever since then, 
is uh, I've been flipping cars, and I've lost count of Corvettes. It's at least 35, maybe 40 in my lifetime. I don't wow. know. There's probably been at least 10 in the last 10 years. Do you have a favorite generation? Is it like late C1, or what do you... I like 58 to 62. Okay. So, uh, and one of the reasons I got into Corvettes, I can tell you there's a guy, he lives in Gettysburg now, his name is Frank Buck. Okay, Frank Buck and his first wife were uh, good friends with my sister, who's 10 years older than me, and her first husband. And Frank had a Corvette when he was like a senior in high school. And he was a Chevy mechanic by trade. And everything Frank touched has turned to gold. Um, he started turning wrenches at a, a local Chevy dealership and you know, ended up getting an Exxon station, a second Exxon station. And then when Interstate 80 came through the Poconos, he got a deuce and a half and, uh, and started towing. And before he knew it, he had a Mack dealership. Then he ended up uh, with a Peterbilt uh, dealership uh, up on Interstate 80 near Stroudsburg. And he recently sold that, but he lives in a historic home. I mean, this guy has had, uh, uh, I mean, he's got unrestored Duesenbergs and, and just stuff like he bought from Otis Chandler and just all kind of crazy out of different collections. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's a fixture at Pebble Beach and then, and, uh, and he knows me for some reason. <laughs> but I mean, the point was when we were kids, he would come to the house. Uh, we, nobody had a pool back then, but we had a creek. And we dammed it up, and we had a swimming hole, for lack of a better term. And uh, all the guys would come with their cars, and Frank would let me sit in his Corvette, which he likes, 56, 57. And I could pull gears and do whatever, and he didn't care. He was just, he thought it was the coolest thing, because I get so excited. Yeah. Right? So he's probably more responsible for me looking or being involved in, in Corvettes and, than anybody. Um, and he knows that I've, I've told him. I bought my first Corvette when I was 20. Um, I bought a 69. Um, and uh, I'll tell you how desperately I just started working at Roadway at the time. And the uh, first year I made 10 grand. And I spent 4000 on a car. And the way. <laughs> all right, it's important. You know, I had, I, my attitude was like. Priorities. Uh, well, no. What was like, I need this now because those old guys with gray hair, like I am now. They can't appreciate this. They don't. Right. You need this when you're a kid, but so you can right, rip it right. there and have a good time, right? And uh, uh, so I went out and I took a personal loan out for two thousand, and then I went to the bank and got a car loan for the other two thousand <laughs> from one thousand. I had like four hundred dollar car payments or whatever it was in nineteen seventy five, but I had a Corvette. What, uh, and it was a 427. It's a big, big block, 400 horse, four speed car. Uh, and what gears were it? Do you remember? Uh, it wasn't real low. It was yeah. like probably about 373. It was that car wasn't super fast. Um, the next one I bought after that was a 1970 with a 454, in it. and uh, that was uh, what the notorious like LS6 type car. Yeah. 435 horsepower on the air cleaner but it was more like 600 horsepower. Mm -hmm. And that was a handful, and that was scary. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, I just saw somebody at a picnic this summer, and he reminded me of a ride I took him in. He goes, we almost got killed that night. And I said, that's a long time ago, Doug. He goes, yeah, I still remember. <laughs> we wouldn't be having this party if we, if we wrecked that night. That's right. yeah, you know, so, but. Um, How did it handle? I mean, with, with the big 
block and the white. And I, the, the big blocks were fine in those cars. Uh, I mean, uh, it would have been better if it was an L88 or something with aluminum heads and intake, yeah. but uh, um, it was fine. It's uh, the small block cars handle better, but I didn't think that like was a bear like driving a Cobra big block. Mm-hmm. You know, that's uh, that's if you're ever getting one of those cars. It's the small block is is the car that won all the races. The big blocks, even if you read anything about it, Dan Gurney, any people that drove those back in the day, they say they're just too hard to handle because they're so nose heavy. Yeah. But the Corvette, not so much. I, I mean, it had a nice, a pretty nice weight distribution. But you also got to remember that they used pretty much that same chassis from '63 to '82. You know, you can put a mid-year body on it and you can put a C3 body on it and they change some hanging points and a few different things but it's pretty much the same suspension front and back yeah. and uh, older Corvettes whether you know it or not I don't know who you talk to but the, the 53 to 62 Corvettes the front suspension was the 49 to 53 passenger car suspension okay that they put in the Corvette and, and that's, that's the truth it's yeah. well documented it, it, it's, it wasn't like new suspension for this this car they repurposed it yeah. and which was unusual for chevrolet uh the people that do that the best was chrysler over the years chrysler repurposed old parts on the shelf yeah. to push into yeah. uh, other cars they were notorious for that chevy didn't do that there they did but um so um but then you know i was in and out of the hobby you know buying selling doing different cars and uh when I got the bug to uh, build a high-end car after we moved in, into this house because I finally had a big enough garage that I could actually get something done without parking the white Volvo in there or something. You, you know what I mean? Right. So um, uh, what was coming out at the time or what uh, people were doing is making what they referred to as a resto mod. Uh, now they're more custom or called custom. They don't necessarily call them resto mods. But I had this inspiration to uh, build a car, and you uh, mean, uh, that car ultimately got sold to Barrett Jackson for uh, $155,000, okay? And when I bought it, okay, it, it, the, everything was weird about this thing, okay? I, a lot of the magazines at the time, and I don't even get a Corvette magazine anymore, uh, uh, honestly, I used to get all of them. But, they're talking about the popularity of making a modern car, and uh, and so my mission was to find a chassis builder and get the suspension and do everything that I had to do to make make it work. And I, I there's a picture of a car in the refrigerator. I got a photo album that has some stuff in, or I can send you yeah. some pictures digitally if you want. But um, uh, that car ultimately got sold to Barrett Jackson for. $155,000, okay, and when I bought it, okay, it, it, the, everything was weird about this thing, okay, I I run a car auction, I don't know if you know that, I run, okay, what I do, I retired from Roadway in 2000 after 26 years, and now I work for a company called Copart, and I run two car auctions for them, and we sell total loss cars, so if you wreck your car, they give it, the insurance company gives it to me to liquidate, we sell all over the world, and, um, you know, states too, but I mean, we're, and we are all over the world. We have brick and mortar in India, China, uh, we're opening, I think, 10 stores in Germany this year. We've been in Great Britain since 2008, 
and you, and, you, and people don't even know who we are. Okay, so, and we, hey, uh, we ran a top fuel car for a while, you know, to get our name out there. We were in the Nationwide Series for a while. Kevin Harvick was our driver. He didn't race well, for a couple of years when he was with us with Joe Gibbs Racing. We had all the best people, right? And, and, and we never won a race. Now, uh, we, ran, uh, we ran the truck series before we did the Nationwide Series, and we actually won that. Okay, our first year out, we, we won that, but after that, we and then we didn't win any drag races either. We, and we had Kenny Bernstein, the guy that was with Budweiser for 25 years. We had one of the best guys, right? And we still couldn't win a race. All right, so, um, so what happens? Okay, the reason I had to set the story up is I would buy donuts for the auction. And I used to, well, before it was Donut Connection, I'd stop over in the Pike at Dunkin' Donuts, mm-hmm. and every Thursday morning I'd pick up like six dozen donuts. Well, I'm in there at like six in the morning, getting my donuts at my weekly order, and this guy pulls in with a 62 on his, on his uh, trailer going to the Corvette show. Okay, and I said, what do you want for that car? He goes, oh, I'm going to get big bucks for this car, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I'm, I'm interested. I want to buy it. And he goes, no, 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 no. You have to come see me at the show. He wouldn't, you know, he had come from Florida. And he's a mile from the showgrounds. He wasn't going to sell the car. You know, if right. he did, it was going to be for right. monster money. So, and it was a project car. It was two halves, which were two different cars. Doors off the third car, trunk lid off the fourth car, hood off the sixth car. Uh, they're all different colored pieces. Yeah. And I took that car and clipped it. And when, it, when I was done with it, uh, it was so straight that I ended up painting it black. And uh, those cars traditionally from the factory are what I call lumpy. They're real wavy looking. They're not, they're not laser straight. I mean, um, so what happens is I go over there to buy this car, and uh, I keep walking. Every hour or two, I'm walking by and say, I'm ready to make a deal. I'm ready to make a deal. And he's like, I want $7,500 for this. I go, it's pieces. Are you out of your mind? You know, he's got a title. It's not like you just buy pieces, you know. Right, right, right. And the frame was from yet another car that burnt in Indiana. Oh, my uh, but uh, had a title and a plane and everything. So... I ended up buying this thing at 7 o'clock Sunday night, which is four hours after the show. So. Yeah. Okay. And I was sitting over there, and he's packing up slowly and hadn't sold the car. And I finally went over, and I said, look, I, I want to buy this car, but I can't give you what you want. And uh, uh, we ended up uh, um, uh, settling on, I think I paid him $4,700 for it, and still had to put it together, still had to make a car out. But it was a lot of money, but it's, it's, I wanted a 62. I had passed on a 62 um, at one point when I was younger, and uh, I always regretted it because I always liked this course. I actually have an original. Um, I have an original brochure from 1962 that I got in a dealership when I was eight years old. That's cool. uh, my. Uh, Dad had a friend from high school that owned a Chevy dealership, and when the new cars come out, it's a big deal. Oh, yeah. So me and my brother and him would always go, and uh, I, I brought that home. I still got it somewhere hidden. I don't know where, but somewhere. Wasn't 62 the only year where they would paint the Scout body color as opposed to? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's correct. How did, you, how did you do yours? You said all black. All black. Okay. Well, the, the 58 to 61 have a stainless piece that goes around the cove. And so it's very easy to do a, a 
a second color. On uh, 62, the only trim piece in the site is a vertical molding. They don't have that stainless that run around it, so it kind of look unfinished. Sure. If your people did paint them, okay, but it's it's better. The, the big differences between the 61 and the 62 is that stainless and they changed the grill. And other than that, I don't think that there's off the top of my head any difference other than the grill's different and uh, the uh, yeah and that cove that's, that's about it and the motor I mean they went from a 283 to a 327 and 62 right. so, so tell us about um, a little about so you're about $4,700 you're about 5000 in um, I wanted to build a resto mod uh, I've seen it in the magazine so I start collecting pieces and I have to find a chassis builder now, Paul Newman, not the actor, but um, there's another Paul Newman who was recently retired from chassis building, but he did a lot of cars. If you, it was uh, custom creations. Um, he was famous for, for putting C4 suspension under 55 to 57 Chevys and the old Corvettes. Okay. okay? And uh, my brother-in-law, my sister lives in Paso Robles, which is like the next town. And they're, they're friends. Okay. So, um, even though I've known Paul for years, and I can show you some of his work, um, I, I couldn't consider shipping stuff 3,000 miles each way every time you, in, you needed something done. So, I ultimately went with uh, SR3 uh, with Mike Stockdale out of New Lenox, Illinois. He built a tube chassis. Uh, okay, now uh, what Newman did was he would scab on C4 suspension um, to the original chassis. And in California, I guess with the uh, uh, emission laws and everything, you're able to not have to go through certain inspection hoops if you do it that way versus a replacement chassis. And back when I was looking in 2002-2003 for a chassis builder, a lot of the guys that are out there now, like Billy Dawson from Corvette Connection, he didn't exist. Okay, the guys down south, uh, uh, frame shop or whatever they're called. There's a bunch of guys that make chassis now. None of them existed. Uh, okay, there wasn't a lot of choices. And then a lot of stuff, when you put the car together, I had to have fab. Now, the aftermarket is sped up to keep up with this because I, I got rid of that car in 2008. That was 10 years ago. So that car I built had cruise control in. I never saw another restaurant that had cruise control in. I mean, I, but I'll tell you the whole whole story here so that I find you a picture of Paul or I can talk. But I ended up with uh, Mike Stockdale because uh, I like this chassis. It appeared to be super strong. And what I asked him to do is I said, can you, he was building C5 suspended cars with a torque tube which means you have to get rid of the gas tank behind the seats because that's where the diff is on C5, okay? Or C4 suspended cars where the rear end is, is you know, then you can run a transmission front like a Camaro or any standard car. And so I called him up and I said, I want to I wanna build a C5 front, C4 rear. And he goes, why the hell would you want to do that? And uh, I said, because uh, upper control arms, okay, are shorter. They're real short compared to the C4 suspension, and the lowers are much longer. Not that the, there's any real difference in the geometry, 
but what it does for me, okay, is uh, opens up the engine compartment. And when you do that, after my measurement at the car auction, because I got a lot of rent cars, I can measure stuff and, and see how things will fit, come home and measure my car. Um, I thought that I could really run all the accessories on the motor, on like an LS-style motor, new cell motor, uh, in the stock position, okay, And if he would build me a chassis that way. And when I called him and told him what I did, he goes, well, you're 100% right because the C5 frames we've put are exactly like that. So I said, well, how about C5 front, C4 rear? So um, he built the first one that way for me, okay? And if you go into the rest of my market, that even to this day, a lot of people are doing, still using C4 rear, but a C5, C6, C7 for front suspension, okay? And like C5, C6, I mean, there is no real difference other than that they say they're different, okay? Like in their rear suspension, as an example, um, they change the wheelbase in the car. So all the upper and lower control arms are the same, but the K-member, the frame that mounts all this stuff, because uh, for the lower control arms on, on the modern Corvettes, not the upper, they're mounted to the body, um, they change the wheelbase by an inch. So the control arms are the same, they just change the K-member. Okay. Uh, okay, so not everybody knows things. Like, like your dad, when I was talking to him, and I said, do you really, I said, do you know where the transmission is in your car? He says, no, I've never been under it. And I said, well, it's back here. Okay, he thought it was still like a traditional sure. V8. He, 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 he says, you're kidding me. And I go, no. I said, for weight distribution, it's behind you. Wow. And, uh, but, uh, but, you know, so... Back to my car, Mike built me this chassis this way, and it took me years because I'm not guys like Frank Buck that's a multi-millionaire that can just write checks and get things done. I gotta save, or borrow, or charge it, or, or do something with it, and the process is slower. So, uh, Contemporary Corvette in Bristol buys cars from me, so I called up uh, uh, Mr. DeSchmidt and said, hey, I need some suspension parts, what can you do for me? And, he took care of me, and I bought my motor from him as well. Uh, bought my six-speed off of eBay from a Ford guy. Uh, he seemed to have the best prices, and I called him up. I said, you know, I said, are you, uh, you know, would you sell something to a Chevy guy? And he started laughing. He goes, what do you want? And I said, I, I want, like, the same price you're giving the Mustang guys on your, on your Trimix. Okay, I said, I want it for an LS1. I said, can you order one and ship it to me? And so I think I paid... I don't know, $2,200, $2,300 for, for that uh, versus like three grand from the Chevy guy, you know what I mean? So every stage of the way was a little bit of a fight to try to get this done. Sure. It's, it's kind of like, um, uh, I, I have some in the garage, I don't know if I could get my hands on to show you, but the, the slave cylinder, it's the, they don't have mechanical clutches anymore, and I'm sure you're aware of this, it's all juice, all hydraulic, and, uh, um, to get a paddle assembly from a 62 Corvette hooked up with a slave cylinder and a hose that went to a transmission, okay, to make all this work. You'd say, well, how, that can't be too bad. Well, if nobody makes the parts, it could be impossible, you know? So uh, I had this guy was doing engine swaps out in Napa, California. I found them online, and I called him up, told him what my dilemma was. He says, I can build you peace. And the way that slave cylinder on the mask on the transmission side works is the hose goes 
goes in to that slave cylinder and with a little little rubber o-ring and a drift pin goes in that's all holds it together that that hose on there all right so i needed him to make me that end okay and make me a tube so i could get outside the bell housing and then i wanted to run a hard line all right from there instead of using a braided line that gm has you need special tools it's two pieces just to get them apart it's a pain in the ass you got to get rid of some of that stuff that's that's got to go, you know. Right. And then I think Kingsler Engineering in Tennessee is where I bought the master cylinder, and they had a kit that you could hook up to the <coughs> original pedals. So um, that dilemma was done. Yeah, you know what I mean? And then I had bought a, uh, I have the part together, and I have a, a throttle body that's cable actuated and a painless wiring harness that I'm going to put in the car. And the more I'm thinking about it, I'm like, you know, I don't want a cable there. There's got to, uh, I, I want to drive by wire. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, now we talked to this over 10 years ago, okay? Which is pretty phenomenal. Uh, okay. So uh, I found this guy, um, Speartech in Indiana. I can't, John, I forget John's. I, I, I don't think his name is Speartech, but that's, but he was, <laughs> the retired GM engineer that patented the drive-by wire system, and I'm like, perfect guy. <laughs> so I call him up, and uh, he was he's racing Camaros, and he's retired, and he's building uh, harnesses for LS Motors. Okay, and I'm like, this is the guy I need. I don't need the paint. Painless is a good product, don't get me wrong. But I I said, can you give me drive-by wire? He goes, yes. I said, how about cruise control? He goes, yes. All right. And, You're my new best friend. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, no, okay, now here's the difference. is a painless wiring harness was $500, and <clears throat> his was 1500 Okay, and I still had to get a stock switch. I had to get the switches for the pedals and weld them in place and wire all this stuff to make it all work. All right. But you know who he is? The detail guy? He was detail. Okay, well, he used to live back here in Highland. Uh, on the first house back here, that's the red door or whatever, Scott. Yeah. So he would drive by all the time. I'd be out there fiddling with the car. He gave me such a hard time, and we became friends because it's like, are you ever gonna get this thing running? Are you ever gonna work on it? It never looks like it's changing. He would be just because he would walk the kids, and or they'd go in their little bikes or whatever, and they'd be up and down the alley, and he'd always stop and say hi. And, uh, but finally, when I drove it out, he, you know, he was laughing because he, he says he finally got done. Because of labor, I love it. You know, when you work with Seven something years. Else. I mean, that's... Well, I didn't work on it all the time. I didn't have money. But, I mean, I did the body. I got the body together, like you can see in those pictures. And then it went on a buck and ultimately got painted on that buck and then transferred back to the chassis once the chassis was ready to go. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, um, I can never think of their name. Um, what's that guy? guy down here sloops right is it on spring guard street okay yeah. they work on old stuff the old man uh the kid does the old man comes in and tells him what he's doing wrong because he's been doing it forever and ever because he's older than me but um when i had the frame and everything together i didn't know you know how uh, tough it was going to be to get the exhaust together so i went down there and i had him hang a lot of the exhaust before we even put the body back on the car so it was easy for them easy to work to, with. yeah so, but yeah, that, um, that's a cool story. But, and that's a 
it's a labor of love. I took a car. Most of the cars, and I don't. I have pictures of work there. Things I, I save cars that people, and we can walk out. And yeah. If you look at the one that's out here, you're gonna, you know, you probably die because you're gonna say you gotta fix this. So it's actually in better shape than this one. Okay. Uh, but uh, not much. But um, most of the cars that, that I do are I usually buy because people aren't fixing them and they should, or they don't have the knowledge to. Right. So it's like some of the C3s I've fixed in the last few years. So I've put new noses on them. You know, people, and it's not hard. I mean, it's hard, but it's not hard if you've done it before. Okay. So people just, they don't, they don't do this anymore. No. I mean, it's just, I'm the last of uh, uh, some of the, the home hobbyists that can still do some of this stuff. Oh, yeah. So. Um, there's not, I don't see too many young guys do it, other than the guys that are fooling with turbos and their Hondas, some of those guys, yeah. but the most of them don't do body work or, yeah. you know, they, they're one dimensional, but we had to do everything when I was a kid growing up, you had to learn how to paint if you wanted your car painted, you had to learn how to tune it up, you had to learn how to fix everything. And you do everything back here in the garage? Or most well, I didn't paint it there, I went into a place where they have a spray booth. <laughs> yeah. what, but, uh, what paint code was that on the black? What is it? It's just a straight black from DuPont. Is it? Okay. It's, uh, the thing that was unusual about that is, see, I drove this car to drive, not to take it to Barrett-Jackson or, or, or any of that stuff. So some of the things I did, people would frown upon. I'll give you some examples. It's like underneath the car, uh, I sprayed it with uh, cans of, uh, I mean, I have spray guns. I could have sprayed it with a spray gun, but I purposely sprayed it with um a spray bomb so that if you got chipped or something you wanted to pull a wheel and clean it up you could do it and it would be an exact match uh, like duh right you know, yeah, you know what I mean yeah, yeah. if I if I buy something from Eastwood yeah. alright then and somebody owns a car if they can't go to no. uh, Lowe's and buy a can of semi-flat or Napa or wherever the hell I bought it from doesn't yeah. really matter anymore but um, universality I, I, I was trying to make it ease on the next guy because I n had no intentions of keeping the car I was going to sell it but I tried to build it as something that you would drive and when, we, when I sprayed it I sprayed it with DuPont touch-up clear okay instead of their high-end clear now you couldn't tell once it was wet sanded buffed and rope but because it was sprayed that way if you have any nicks or you do something you could clean it up real easy and it wouldn't, wouldn't be a problem and, and some people like you're at mind, you know, and I'm like, hey, I'm just thinking practically, practical, yeah. and, and it wasn't that it was any cheaper, it might even been more expensive, all right, but I, I was trying to uh, do it in a way that, uh, you know, that if you if you drove the car and got a little bitched up, or however you want to describe it, and you still wanted to go take it to a car show, and you wanted to clean it up, you could do this stuff at home yourself, sure. it wouldn't be a real big deal, yeah, for, for the most part. So, um, I had a lot of time to think about it while I was trying to save money to work on it you know, and, and work through a lot of the problems. Now, today, it's uh, when I get ready to, to, to build the one that's out there, it's just a matter of having enough money and, and making a phone call. I'll probably order most all of it one shot. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So, Well, that was, again, each week I love meeting new people and, and talking with them. Scott... What stood out for you with our, our evening hanging out with Roy? I think the main thing was just that he's so community connected as well as uh, connected in the Corvette community. He's 
he's local, but yet he has all mm-hmm. of his his different contacts and his support system, and uh, he just he just connects with everyone. I, I agree. In fact, uh, I have so much respect for Roy. The fact that he is self taught and uh, has learned so many different aspects of the customization and the fabrication, uh, all aspects of. Uh, Restoring a car and making it uh, something special through the whole resto mod niche and uh, just out of necessity. He, he taught himself these skills. So uh, glad we're friends and, and so glad to have him be part of the Cars of Carlisle community. Of which, uh, please continue to have uh, your friends and family listen to the podcast, download, subscribe, comment, uh, rate and us. Give reviews. Yes, yeah. I, absolutely. And uh, I w- want to put a special thanks out to Man Engineering, our Cars of Carlisle sponsor out of Santa Clara, California. A big thanks to them. Just tonight, it is actually about 28, 29 degrees. I went out to the garage, fired up the BRZ just to they make turn things over and get her running. And, and to hear the exhaust. And to hear the exhaust, absolutely. Which, again, thanks to Man Engineering for that. Um, looking forward to... Uh, to working with them for perhaps other mods in 2019. But if you do own a Subaru or have friends that uh, are into Subaru performance, Man Engineering is the one-stop shop. Definitely check them out at man-engineering.com. So I don't know if you guys knew it, but I wrote my letter to Santa already. Uh, It's on its way to the North Pole, and in there I asked for double our subscribers. So again... Please put the word out there. We'd love to grow this, the Cars of Carlisle community, your podcast. This is where uh, the culture and the community and everybody comes together. So thanks again for listening to episode 33. Bear with us. Episode 34, all I have to say is a, is a hint. Classic car songs. It's all about the music next week, so you'll want to listen in for that. So we're at that point in episode 33 where you know it, you love it. We say drive well and be well. Take Take care. care.
take care. So we're at that point in episode 33 where you know it, you love it. We say drive well and be well. Take care.